Hello everyone and welcome to the Double View Wrestling Podcast. Now if you just want to hear us go straight into talking about wrestling, you can jump to episode 01. But if you want a little background to the podcast and you want to know who Sid is and who Pete is, that's what this episode's for. So we're going to get it all done in this episode, episode 00, and you can come back and you can refer to this or you can just ignore it, whichever you prefer. So Pete, how are you today? I am very well. Very excited that we've gotten this podcast off the ground. Excellent. Yes, me too. So this is launching episode 00, episode 01. The very first episode is also up, ready to go at the same time. But we thought, let's just take this time to talk about us. It's egotistical, but I like it. Who are we, Pete? Well, we are long-time wrestling fans. We're basically the same age, and I think we kind of found wrestling at the same time it's kind of its first height in the sort of the 80s to 90s definitely definitely i was uh i remember being in a pub in king sutton and uh on the tv they, it was the first time i saw sky tv i think it's the first time i'd seen like american style wrestling i'd had an idea of like big daddy and giant haystacks and some of the british world of sports stuff but to see legion of doom Beating the living crap out of two jobbers, mm-hmm. and and of course their finishing move. <laughs> That's that was it. That was the moment I was like, "What is this? Who are they? How can I see more?" Yeah, that'll do it. Seeing the LAD for the first time, if you're not instantly, you know, enthralled by that, there's something <laughs> wrong with you. So, what was your very first exposure to wrestling? Well, I had a friend who lived on the street around the corner from me, and he would borrow wrestling cassettes off. I don't know if it was a relative or a family friend or something who lived in the same street as him. And it, I just went around one day and he was playing it. And I was like, what is this? Um, and I just it just clicked. I just got into it. Um, and that was around probably sort of between WrestleMania 6 and WrestleMania 7. Because I, I vividly remember my nan buying me the WWF magazine and it was all about the highlights of WrestleMania 7. That was like when I was into it. So I'd obviously been into it a little bit before that. Brilliant. That's very similar to the same time as me. Um, I got into it, it would have been WrestleMania 4 or 5. We used to rent the VHS videos from a little shop called Shop Around the Clock. Quite a famous little store in Banbury. Um, And I distinctly remember being very hyped for the Mega Powers. Mm -hmm. But I definitely remember the build for WrestleMania 6. The showcase of the Immortals. Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior. I remember that like it was yesterday, and I remember what a huge deal that was for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Uh, but of course, we didn't have Sky TV. Um, a girl in our village who lived down the road did, and I'd often go down there and uh, watch wrestling when I could have been up to more interesting things. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, you're interesting, but there's semi-naked men on TV grappling of each other. Uh that that holds my attention more. It's bad, isn't it, when you put it like that? It's not ideal. And you did. So, you kind of kept being a wrestling fan secret. And even us being friends for a few years, neither of us knew we were kind of wrestling fans until it just kind of randomly came up. You're like, oh, you like wrestling too. And like, we shouldn't have been ashamed of it because our friendship was sort of built on toys and comics and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, then, a little bit more nerdy than wrestling, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, somehow... We, we discovered that we had this mutual love of wrestling, which we did with another couple of friends at the time, and that was it. History. 
But that was sort of during the dark times. Like, we started hanging out in 94, 95, and I distinctly remember one of the first times I came around your house, we watched SummerSlam 92. Mm. Rick Martel versus Shawn Michaels. The battle for Sherry Martel. Yes. <laughs> Don't let each other hit each other in the face. Yeah, but we, but then, like, but we weren't watching wrestling on a week, or I certainly wasn't watching no. wrestling on a weekly basis at that point. No, I wasn't. I mean, my mum and dad didn't have Sky at that point or anything, so I, I literally it was the videos or, or friends having videos that allowed me to watch it. So, what was it that brought you back in? Because I, I can tell you exactly what brought me back in, and that was you when I, <laughs> I come around your house and you were like, "You've got to see these guys." You remember Shawn Michaels? Yeah, I remember Shawn Michaels. Well, he's in a faction called Degeneration X. Listen to this WAV tune, and you'd play the <laughs> WAV file for me. I would be like, "Wow, that's that's pretty badass." And you'd go on AOL and you'd type in keyword WWF. Yeah, and like they had a good website for its day, mm. which I believe was Shane McMahon's initiative. Like the internet's going to be big. We need to get on this. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just remember at the time, like, that was a great reason to get the internet, just to follow the wrestling dirt sheets. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think me getting kind of, I was never not into it, but I was never into it, into it like I got into it and I'm now. And like I say, I, I didn't have Sky at the time. My mum and dad didn't get Sky until sort of the late, late 90s, early 2000s, I think it was. Um, so I kind of didn't have access to it to watch it every week. And I had this mate that watched videos around his house. And then when I sort of started getting myself a bit of disposable income, I'd go into Smith's or wherever and, and see the tapes and was like, I'd look at the covers because I wasn't hugely into it, but I recognised some names. So I like looked at the back, I saw Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart or names I knew. I was like, well, that, I remember those guys. I'm going to buy this tape and just watch the show. And, and that was it then. I just got hooked. Yeah, tape trading at secondary school was was a really big thing. Like we didn't really own VHS, mm. uh, but I'd often borrow people, and it was always the best of collections that people seemed to have. Yeah. So you'd have like the best of the British Bulldogs, which uh, one of our mutual friends, Matt Boyce, actually has that signed yes. by Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid. Um, yeah. I believe it's signed by both of them. It might just be Davy Boy actually. Um, I remember the best of Hulk Hogan. Um, VHS, which actually did have a few of his better earlier matches on, including um, a very vicious cage match with Big Boss Man. Mm, yes. Big Boss Man isn't someone you expect to see suplex from the top of a cage. Definitely not. Um, right, and the vicious, yeah. this was the blue cage, the one yeah, that yeah. hurt. That's, that's right, <laughs> yeah, the proper cage. So tape trading was huge, and also um, the trading cards. Mm. You remember trading cards at school? Yes. And I remember like Kids would go nuts at me because I'd trade like free cards, like for a Hulk Hogan or an Ultimate Warrior, and they're like, "Oh, why would you get rid of free cards for one?" And it's like, "Well, it's Hulk Hogan." Yes, the one I want, and obviously you had the <laughs> yeah. the Hasbro figures were huge for us. Oh, um, uh, you know, I have never in my life owned a single one of the original Hasbro figures. Really? And I, I loved. I had a friend uh, who had loads of them. Yeah. His parents used to just. They used to give him his child benefit every month, like government right. support child benefit. They <laughs> okay. just gave it to him on a weekly basis. So he had everything. He had micro machines. He had wrestling figures, right. like all the Transformers micro masters. Like he, he was um, toy rich, mm. shall we say? Yeah, I only had a handful as a kid. Um, I had Warrior, Rick Rude, and Jake Roberts, and I think that was probably it. 
because um, like a bit like you, a friend of mine had loads of them, so I kind of didn't feel the need to own them all because I could go around his and play with them. But yeah, I I had a handful still, but I I bought like carded Shawn Michaels uh, this year, which was a big boy purchase. But I just That's wanted pretty it. special. Yeah, pretty it's cool. Special. Yeah, you, you haven't got the um, X Pack action figure where he's got no eyebrows because his friends shaved them off the night. No, before. I wish I did because that is <laughs> worth some serious money. That's one of the the big ones as far as monetary value goes. That one, two, three, kid. It's such a great story. So this kid who lived around the corner from you was he the guy that I bought the X wing off? No, no, it's the same. Lived on the same street. Lived opposite him. That, that yeah. could have been a really nice intersection <laughs> yeah. of like how we met and how everything came together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, so um, just to just to bring the listeners up to speed, the way me and Pete met was hanging out in a comic shop. I bought an X-Wing uh, off a kid and it didn't have a cockpit. And Pete was like, oh, I've got a spare X-Wing cockpit randomly hanging around as you do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll come around and buy it. And, and then we just hung out and talked comics and spider-man and superman and nerd shit forever and 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 27 years on we've not learned um we've not learned to stop <laughs> no we've, we've not grown at all just stayed no same same people just with slightly bigger wrestling and slightly bigger toy collection <laughs> yeah. so you mentioned the action figures uh hmm. you you've you've been quite uh, a big wrestling action figure collector just recently haven't you yeah, definitely. Um, it it kind of spanned from um, watching the major wrestling figure podcast, uh, Matt Cardona, Brian Myers, um, and Mark Sterling do this figure podcast, and they just they, what kind of got me collecting is they do videos where they'll just go around toy shops, and Ethan Page does this as well. His are really good, where they just go around like collectible shops in the states and were buying things they liked, and I was just like, that's so cool, and it just got me excited by the thought of going and buying wrestling figures or, or just figures in general because I've always been comics has been my main thing yeah, yeah but my collection as far as going back and getting old stuff I there's nothing I want I've got I've got everything so it's just keeping up with the new stuff so I didn't really have that thing where I could go and hunt for something um, and then yeah moving into my new house gave me a load more room and I was like sod it I'm gonna start buying some of the figures I liked and like with AEW just starting their figure line, it was a, a good in because like trying to go find a point to collect WWE figures or something like that. It's just so hard because there's just so many. Yeah. Where do you start? Where do you stop? Exactly. So I did buy a handful. I bought a, a, a variation of each member of the click um, and a couple of like guys I've enjoyed from New Japan, like Red Dragon and Kushida. I bought their figures and I've got some of the New Japan figures. But yeah, AEW is kind of where I was like, right, I can get in from the ground up with this collection and keep up with it. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be now because they're not being released in the UK anymore. But it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know exactly how it feels. And I'm going to say now that you are one of the most precision collectors mm. I've ever met. So it doesn't matter if it's comic books or toys or wrestling merch. You know exactly what you want, yeah. the condition you want it in. And you're you're prepared to pay to get it. Mm. Um, so, like your Superman comic collection, which starts in 1986 when John Byrne came on, yep. you've kept that running to yep. modern day, which fantastic! What what a collection that is. Um, your He-Man figures, like you've got nearly all the vintage now. Yeah, I'm I'm a handful missing because um, I had them all as a kid, and then as you do as a kid, you sell them to buy other things. Um, and what I've 
at least managed to do is have the collection I had figure wise that I had when I was a kid. So the, the figures I don't have, I think there's four that I don't have now. I, I didn't have them. So I think if I if I had them back then, I'd probably be more willing to shell out the extortionate prices for them to get them. Uh, but as I, I don't have that attachment to them, I'm not like rushing out. If I ever saw them for a price I was happy to pay, then of course I'd grab them. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the collection as it is. So it's a great collection. It's very, very focused. I've always been a bit more scattershot. And if it's if it's something that I like, if it intrigues me, I'll pick it up. I don't hang on to everything, but I, I do tend to I get an idea if it's something I want to collect. So like with wrestling figures in particular, my very first wrestling figure was um, Scott Hall as Sting. Yes, that uh, WCW line, the Toy Biz oh, line. Such it was such a good sculpt for yeah. its day, and of course, it's two figures in one because it's it's Wolfpack Scott Hall as Wolfpack Sting. It's just it was just a great figure, um, and it came with a breakable table. Yeah, and he can do the razor's edge. He's in that sort of position, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, that was the action feature, wasn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. a great figure, and I only got a couple more. I got, I know, I definitely had a, a cane. And a sable from that weird range that had clip-on armor. Yes. Just the armor looked awful. I never got it. But that was it. I never really collected wrestling figures after that. I loved the Maximum Sweat figures when mm-hmm. they came out, which I know are very divisive among wrestling fans. Some people love them. Some people absolutely hate them. Um, a lot of people think they're ugly. Mm-hmm. They are. They absolutely are. But that is sort of what makes them fantastic. Yeah, I like them. Like, yeah, same with Monsters in Your Pocket and Boggling, Boglins. Yes. Toys are allowed to be ugly and they can still be cool. The, the thing that weirded me out more than anything is like I've never been a huge Masters of the Universe collector, although mm-hmm. I did get all the 2002 range, and I've never collected wrestling action figures in my life. But for some reason, during the pandemic, I decided it would be a good idea to collect all the Masters of the WWE Universe figures. Yes, you did. And the weird thing about that is, like, obviously you've got no kind of attachment to either side of that. But got them. Yet yeah, I love both and didn't get them. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing in the world. It's like <laughs> someone came along and made a toy line for Pete, and I <laughs> yeah. went, "I'll have that." <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant, but they weren't easy to get because they only came out in America. And yeah. I think the first they were exclusive to Walmart for the first release. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I think they had a year exclusive on every wave as they dropped. And then the later waves only seemed to go to a handful of Walmarts and Big Bad Toy Store. But somehow, I've and it's rare I do this with anything, I have literally got 100% mold completion. Nice. With, like, I've got everything they released, both the rings with the exclusive figures, every action figure ever. Like, I don't think I've ever done that before in my life. But they did miss a lot of key characters. There's no Shawn Michaels, there's no Scott Hall, no Kevin Nash, no Ric Flair. And now Mattel are doing this action figure line uh, of WWE superstars, yep. which are essentially the He-Man style figures, but with like real clothing, cloth clothing. Yes. Well, I'm not. I'm not bothered about the clothing, but I like the idea of being able to add these figures into the uh, into my Masters of the WWE Universe collection because it's quite easy to part swap on those figures. Yes. Yeah. So, so you can kind of like. You can he-man them up a little bit more once mm-hmm. you've got them in hand, but they are so hard to find and they're so expensive. Exactly. I mean, I saw one at the um, 
toy show in Birmingham earlier this year that I went to where I picked up that carded Hasbro Michaels, I saw one of those superstars. I can't remember. It, was, it wasn't Sean because I'd have bought it. Might might have been Honky Tonk Man. And he was like 60, 70 quid then. It's crazy. And it's like, yeah, I, you can't justify it. There's a, there's a guy on eBay at the minute who's got um, Hollywood Hogan, Hall, Nash and Michaels. Nice. But by the time I pay customs and import and shipping and everything, it's going to end up being 160 quid. Mm. It's just 40 quid a figure. It's just, I just can't, can't quite uh, yeah. justify that at the minute. But yeah, we're, so we're very much, we've just gone and on and on about figures there for a bit. <laughs> Obviously, anyone listening to this can tell uh, we're, we're, we're big nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, I've been involved in comics and toys since uh, since the mid-90s. So I ran a comic shop on and off for the best part of 25 years. And in between, when I wasn't working in the shop, I was selling online and I was selling uh, at shows. Um, that started off as a job to help fund my toy collecting because I'm a big Transformers collector. Um, I've luck- I'm lucky enough to be very heavily involved in the Transformers community online. Uh, I've worked on third-party figures, making unofficial Transformers toys, bringing figures that never have existed to life. Um, I've been very lucky to be positioned where I have with, um, as my brother would call it, not any real jobs. <laughs> <laughs> fair to say? Yeah, that's fair. So mid-90s, we, we met and started hanging out, and we had friends in and around the comic shop where I worked at the time. And it got into the habit where slowly we realised we all liked wrestling. And it became a bit of a tradition to come around my house on a Saturday night, and we'd have that week's Raw, which would yeah. have aired in America on the Monday, but didn't get aired in England until the Friday night. That's it. And I had a friend who would record it. We'd go around his house as we walked home with a brand new copy of Raw. We'd eat pizza, play video games, usually WrestleMania 2000 on the N64, or a bit of NWA Revenge if we wanted to spice it up. Um, Make our own characters, bring them around on memory cards. Uh, It was just a whole thing. We did that for years and years. We did. It It was so good. There was footage as well, because sometimes we used to set up a video camera in the corner and film ourselves watching things and eating pizza. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how you know it's good times when you're filming yourself <laughs> yeah. eating pizza with your friends. Um, so that kind of organically, weirdly evolved into us discussing wrestling more and more. Mm. And it got to the point where it wasn't just raw on a weekly basis, but sometimes we'd meet up for pay-per-views or go around someone's house and watch pay-per-views. And and I've never really quite been sure how it started, but off the back of that, we ended up forming a wrestling organisation called the BAWA, or Bauer. Yeah. And we were active on the Brit wrestling scene from, I think it was 2004, we first started doing shows to the public Mm -hmm. in Banbury at Wood Green Leisure Centre. Sounds about right. Kidlington, Stratford upon Avon. Don't talk uh, about that one. No, that's jinxed, isn't it? Yeah. Few places in Oxfordshire and Warwickshire. We didn't really branch out too far, but that company kept running until I think it was 2011. Yeah, sounds about right. So, for a small independent wrestling company, 
with mm. no real financial backers. Formed by a group of mates, and it eventually did have names on it, like the Colt Cabana and Jimmy Jacobs, just to name a couple. So yeah, it 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 kind of made it. it. Yeah, I think we did good, and I think um, I think now's the time. It's been a few years. I think we can be a bit candid about the origins of Bauer. Mm. Because before it was the British All-Star Wrestling Alliance, it was the Banbury Amateur Wrestling Club. <laughs> and for those who remember, before then, years before then, it was a back garden faction called the Bloody Awful Wrestling Alliance. It was, it was. Um, some detractors might say we never grew out of that really but you know <laughs> we had kid cash we had colt cabana we put on good shows we i mean we had the audiences tell you if it's garbage or not mm-hmm. the young bucks started in exactly the same way at exactly the same time as well but it's, it's funny with the bucks because they started doing their backyard stuff exactly the same time we did they did a little bit better but you know similar <laughs> yeah just just a little bit, you know. Yeah. We haven't. I mean, I, I mean, I've got an action figure. It's there you just go. custom. Yeah. It's just been yeah. handmade. I've still got it. Um, and and the curious thing about Bauer is the first ever Bauer match we filmed and recorded in my back garden was the same weekend that Ring of Honor launched. Wow, there you go. Exactly the same weekend. <laughs> so okay, we're going to give a shout out to a few people here because uh, lots of people were involved in Bauer from the beginning. Yeah, and on paper. There were three people who formed the company, and that was myself, you, and old school, yes, Gary. We 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 shan't do his full name because he can be. He's a private person. He just likes to keep himself to himself, and we do like to respect that. Yeah. But without the three of us, there's no Bauer. Mm-hmm. We we were the founders, the founding fathers. But to me, equally important, there's two more people I'd like to mention who I think were absolute. Pillars of the company. One is John Rampage. Yeah. One of two or three Rampages working the British indie scene <laughs> at that time. Yeah. Uh, he's a tattooist by trade, lovely guy. He's like someone I don't have the contact with I used to have. Um, and I do miss the guy. He's just, he's also always been an awesome guy. And he was always there at the bits that made Bauer count. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there was a guy who came later who he only came to us in the third year and he was very green when he came in. But Chris Walker, as he's known on the indie scene, Mm -hmm. like for a guy that just walked in one day and went, hello, I'd like to wrestle, please. How well did he do? Yeah, so good. So good. And he, he could have done more. Like he was really picking up steam when he decided to, to stop. That's the thing. He, he took a year off just to let his body heal a bit, and he kind of got into the best shape he's ever got into. Yeah. Like, Yeston Reese kind of took him under his wing and helped him with intermittent fasting and training patterns. But I think I think Chris's passion nowadays lies more in writing. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. Which makes sense, because when I left the company in 2008, he did take over the booking aspect mm-hmm. of the show, and Bauer was... The, you, the booker had to be very hands-on with the writing of Bauer because Bauer sort of had a, a particular sense of humour around it. Yes. Um, like, in, in some ways, I've always said Bauer was a bit ahead of its time, mm-hmm. which is the same as being wrong. <laughs> if we'd come around five, ten years later, you would have had a bit more of an indie wrestling scene. YouTube wouldn't be limited to ten minutes. Yeah. 
because because when when Bow was getting going, YouTube had a ten minute limit. I don't know if people remember that, mm. but it was really low quality footage that they uh, they they streamed because it was just a, this brand new thing, um, and and we weren't we didn't really kind of get into the local indie wrestling scene properly until we'd been going for about four years. Yeah, that's right. And that's when we kind of made contacts with 4FW, um, people like Mark Haskins. Um, I know Gary had dealings with Mark Sloan at some point. In fact, I think he sold the ring to Mark Sloan when Bauer finally wrapped up. Right. And we got to talk about the ring because, like, not to say it was the most valuable player, but it was the only 20 foot by 20 foot full size wrestling ring in the country at the time when Bauer started. Yeah, and it wasn't like we bought a second-hand one or anything like a lot of people do because it's cheaper. Ours was like brand spanking custom-made for us, wasn't it? Yeah, and shipped to America. And shout out to um, Old School for that because he he found the guy selling it. Yeah. Uh, he, he ordered it. He arranged for customs. He arranged to pick up from the ports when it first arrived, paid all the import duty on it. Like, old school was instrumental in that. And I remember the guy, before he sent the ring, he sent a VHS through the mail of a video of how to set up the ring <laughs> and take it down. Right. And I remember Gary watched that video, as he did, because we've all got little bits of OCD in us. Yeah. Gary watched that video probably 12 times <laughs> before he got the ring. Yeah. It's insane. It's insane. And that was his baby. I mean, he looked after that ring. He, he was always the ring setup crew. Like, even when we had, like, development, talent mm-hmm. who obviously you kind of give them the run around and make them pay their dues but gary was always hands-on making sure that ring was set up properly he'd yes. always be the first to run the ropes he'd always be the first to bump in it he wouldn't let anyone do anything in that ring until he was a hundred percent sure it was safe yeah that's right um he was bang on with that um now my part my role in the setup of us when we went legit and took wrestling indoors was um I don't know where the idea came from, but the idea came to us to approach the National Lottery for a grant. Yeah. And they sent the paperwork through, and I read the paperwork through, and I think I'm quite good at writing and understanding what the government wanted to hear. So I wrote a really detailed application, and it was there was about 25, 30 sheets of paper to do this application as well, mm. with um, impact statements from local people from deprived areas, who didn't have much social mobility because um, we were at that point I was living in an area called Brett Hill, which has always been a bit of a deprived area in my local town, um, and I just kept hammering home the the nature of Banbury and the people who didn't really have much to do. There wasn't much entertainment. There wasn't much money for sports and finances. And it was, I mean, it was a total blag in many ways, because mm. wrestling is a bit of a protected industry. You can't just let anyone come in and off the streets and run the ropes. But whatever whatever it was I put in the paperwork, it worked, because we got the full National Lottery grant, yep. which paid for our ring in full, set mm-hmm. us up, got us in Wood Green Leisure Centre, and uh, we never heard from them again. No, that's it. Yeah, they were quite happy, weren't they? With... We, we never heard <laughs> from them again. And I, I had stuff ready to go. Like, I, I talked to our our talent and some of our development peeps and said to them like, right now, if the, if, if the natural lottery approaches, they're going to want to know what we've done with the money. I can show them receipts, but I'll need you to kind of do like statements to show what a great thing it's been for you and for kids in the area and all this, all this stuff, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's 
forty percent truth, sixty percent bullshit. Yeah, it was embellished fact, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, but no, we never heard from them again. They just yeah. they just gave us five thousand pounds of national lottery money and walked away. Yep, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but without that, we wouldn't have had the ring. We wouldn't have been able to start up because you, you can't start a wrestling company without a ring. No, that's right. Um, and it's amazing that we never owned a van or anything like that. It was always rentals that we yes, did. And yeah. Storing uh, storing a twenty foot ring's hard, man. It's it it takes up space. I mean, we got so lucky with that as well because where the leisure center was, we did our shows. It was an outdoor swimming pool, which at the time was like decommissioned. That the pool wasn't open. So we could use the old like ice cream and snack area to house the ring. Like just so many random lucky things. What what was really great about that is that little shack area at the old swimming pool where you used to get ice creams and drinks. Hmm. That's the first place I ever played Street Fighter Two. Nice. And that's where we stored our wrestling ring. <laughs> <laughs> How amazing is that? Yeah. Yeah. No. It was. It was. It was. It was a great time. We were very lucky to set it up. We had no real serious injuries. A couple mm. of breakages, and uh, one guy got his teeth knocked out. Um, one nearly fatal heart attack <laughs> from from one of the organisers, but I think that was as much stress yeah. as it was anything to do with wrestling itself. Um, you know, other than that. <laughs> Uh, we came out all right. I mean, although I do know that there's a few people I spoke to who've gone like, um, they've revealed they have had like memory problems and a few brain issues because of all the concussions they got. Okay. So I mean, it was just a different time. Like, I mean, I don't know how the hell you do it. Then we did have insurance. It's the hmm. craziest thing. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, given how hard it's always been to have insurance as a wrestling company, I'm not sure how we got that. But I don't <laughs> think anyone ever put a claim in. Everyone just kind of. Wrestling as an industry, all the people who work in it kind of just like they accept the risk. Exactly. You know that there's potential for it to happen. And like you say, none of what we had was, you know, that terrible. Like there were no broken necks or like long term issues. So, yeah, it's just it, it was part of it. And we we were so lucky for so long because when we were in the backyard, we had that makeshift ring, which was solid. Like how we never got hurt using that. I don't know. Well, I think I think that helped in a way because you had to bump right. Yeah, yeah, true. That ring was it didn't move. It was more like a boxing ring. It was just steel girders. Yeah, with a little bit of uh, a little bit of cushioning, but not much. Mm-hmm. But you had to learn to bump right, and that otherwise it hurt. Yes, but the, 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 that was the strange thing about us because like a lot of people, they set back guard and they do a lot of garbage wrestling and they're hitting each other with trash can mm-hmm. lids and putting someone in a crippler cross face with. Through a cat flap, that definitely happened. Or choking <laughs> someone with the garden hose. Yeah, these things like, happen. Yeah, we, we definitely did that. But the weird thing was after we did that for like a year and it was funny and then and then you're done. Yeah. And what happened was the second year is we kind of all came back. A few people didn't, but most of us came back and went, let's just, let's pretend this is a proper ring in a proper arena with proper paying fans Yeah. and see what we can do. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one of the birthday parties, we invited a bunch of people from the kind of local metal goth music scene. Yes. And we had a lot of people around the garden that night. And they were all like, oh, there's going to be a bit of wrestling. 
And like every single one of them came up to me afterwards and went, oh, I thought it was just going to be crap, but that was like a proper match. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, it was a proper match. It was a Survivor Series style match, which I don't usually enjoy, but mm-hmm. they're very fun to book. Yes. And yeah, it just, that was the kind of like, well, if people enjoy watching this, and we used to have local kids from the neighbourhoods would climb over the garden fence and sit on <laughs> yeah. sit on the roof of my shed to watch us wrestle. And this would go on like until like it was getting dark and we needed lights, and it was just like, should we just take it indoors? Yeah. It's like, well, would anyone pay to see this? Um, so we had to get better quickly because mm-hmm. we took it indoors, and I think that was the third or fourth year we took it indoors. And it was months before we let a paying crowd in. Yeah. It was just work, get better, work, get better. Um, and we had we had some paying crowds come in. We got a bit of a following. And then we did a sellout show at Kidlington Sports Hall, which credit to Chris Walker, he organized that. Um, we came out of that on a real high with a profit, like real money sat there in hand. And it was like... There were two ways you can go at that point. You can think, oh, we're amazing. Mm. Or you can think, we've got something. Let's try and do something with it. And we chose the latter. So what we did from then is we didn't do any shows for a couple of months after that. We we went away and got good, to put it as Bill and Ted, <laughs> Excellence Adventure put it. We went away and we worked with people at 4FW, people like Mark Haskins, and we got some legit training. Um, we were we weren't as bad as we thought, to be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And and then once once we came back and started doing shows after that, it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And one of my favourite things from that time is, I remember messaging Colt Cabana on Facebook. This is a hundred percent real. I remember messaging Colt Cabana at that point and explaining who we are. We're a little. Um, indie group, we've got a ring, we start putting on shows to the public. What advice do you give us? I don't know why I sent the message because what was I expecting to get back? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah, well done, hit each other with trash lids, nice one, mate. But actually, I got a really nice reply from him, but it was a very measured, reasoned response that said, get training, mm. get a professional to help you guys do it properly. None of this, don't disrespect the sport yeah, or anything yeah, like yeah. that. It was like, yeah, look, People come in from this from everywhere, like you say, Bucks, Hardys. It's this. It's not. It's not the curse word it used to be to say that's how you came in. Yeah. But like Colt, Colt was really, yeah. Get training. Keep doing what you're doing, but get training. And he mm-hmm. was absolutely right because the second we did get training, um, we got better. Yeah, definitely. Because you're going to, and within I think within five years of that. Colt Cabana, Colt Cabana was on our show. Yes. Now, I don't think he would have ever pieced together that that random person mm, messaged yeah, him on... Yeah. Actually, I think it was MySpace, not Facebook, which tells you when this was. Yeah. I don't think Colt Cabana would ever put together that random messaging me on MySpace saying, I want to be a wrestler! <laughs> and the show he ended up doing in a sports hall in Banbury to a sellout crowd a few years later. There's no way in the world he would equate the two. Yeah, but yeah. There was a direct causal link between the two. Mm, that's cool. Strange, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's that's a bit of our background in how we all came into wrestling, um, and how we all met and got training and did what we did. 
Who were you when you wrestled? Well, I had a couple of gimmicks. Um, so my, my initial one was Latino Pete. Brilliant. You've got to remember, this all, this all stemmed from when we were backyarders messing around, having no aspirations of anything but having a laugh. Um, so, and I did that gimmick way longer than I should have. Um, <laughs> like, today, you couldn't... Uh, uh, very, very much a white man doing that gimmick is is not cool. Um, but but you didn't do the voice or anything. You weren't, no, it wasn't, no, it was you weren't trying to be. Well, exactly. You made up this huge backstory that I was just a British lad, but I'd been to Mexico and got trained by a, a legendary luchador over there, and that's that's kind of where that gimmick came from. So yeah, it wasn't a horrendous caricature or anything. And like say, we embellish this backstory, made it all up. Um. But yeah, so that's that's what I did. And then when Eddie Guerrero died, that was my my out with that gimmick. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not gonna do that now. Um, and that's when I moved on to be the superstar Pete Andrews, Andrew being my middle name. I think you moved on to Pete Andrews a little bit before it because we were already wrestling inside okay. to a crowd. Because if you remember, we actually we did a show the day after Eddie Guerrero died, and yeah. we Gary actually came out and announced to the audience that Eddie Guerrero died and we were kind of doing the show in his honor. That's right, yeah. And and because it was kind of, it was pre-social media taking over everything, an awful lot of the people in the crowd had no idea he died. Yes, and that's like, right. And we were yeah. literally breaking the news to them, which was just sour, tragic, just yeah, horrible. Yeah. Um, so I think you, I think once we went indoors, you became Superstar Pete. Okay. Uh, it's certainly in my head anyway. Yeah. That's, that's the timeline. Um, my main character... Again, back garden. I started off as Sid Rock because I didn't <laughs> think I could wrestle. Um, I, I so I just had a kind of manager interviewer gimmick. Then I got coaxed into doing a couple of matches, and I developed a persona called Trigger Man, based on the Alice Cooper song of the same name, which was basically uh, Tommy Dreamer in an overcoat. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, if, if Tommy Dreamer really got into the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right. So, so Thomas, T- Tommy Anderson? No, that's who <laughs> knows. Yeah. So, um, I I basically came out wearing shades and a long black coat. Occasionally, I'd have a smoke pellet letting off a piss amount of smoke. Yeah. As I walked out of the patio doors. <laughs> Good God! Um, I remember one time in the middle of a match, I pulled a full pint of beer out of my jacket pocket. Yes. Which was amazing because one, I've never drunk beer, <laughs> and two, I've never really rock watched Bottom, which is <laughs> where I stole that joke from. Yeah. But like, it was about halfway through the match. There'd already been a lot of moves, <laughs> mostly me hitting people with kendo sticks, which were actually just like three garden canes tied together. <laughs> God, it was awful. There's a reason why we called ourselves the Bloody Awful Wrestling Alliance. But it is funny because. This is how Bauer went. We'd do something like that looked awful, like the smoke pellets. But then that'd go, well, how about why don't we just get a smoke machine? And that's yeah, how Bauer yeah. kind of went. We'd do an, a naff version of something, and they would actually go, oh, no, there's nothing stopping us doing it properly. And that's, that's just how everything went with it. Because like, we didn't have gear for the longest time or pads or anything. And it's like, well, why can't I order some pads from High Spots? And some, yeah, you think, some well, tights and it's, stuff. it's a bit weird doing it in, when we're just in the back garden. But actually... Yeah. That's when we needed those pads the most. Well, exactly. That ring was nasty. Yeah, yeah. 
it, it just it did strangely grow and grow and grow, didn't it? I mm. mean, like by the time we took it indoors, I got heavily into going to the gym, like getting in shape so I could go a full match. Like, I mean, I could easily go a 15, 20 minute match full pelt and not get blown out. Yeah. Compared to when we started three years previously, where I was an asthmatic smoker <laughs> in, you know, a fat man in an overcoat. It's, we just kept pushing and pushing and trying to get better. And, and the product did get better, but it wasn't just superstar Pete Andrews and Triggerman, was it? Because, in the early days, we had a very thin roster. And in mm. order to even get a one-hour tape show in the back garden, because, yes, we recorded it all and had commentary and entrance music, <laughs> in order to pad out those shows, pretty much everyone on the roster had two gimmicks, two yes. completely separate characters. They did. can't believe we're revealing this after all this time. Yeah. Oh, the secret's out. Because <laughs> not only were you... Latino Pete. Not only were you superstar Pete Andrews, you were Ferris McFly, that 80s guy. I was. Geordie <laughs> superstar. Geordie superstar. Tell us a little about that. <laughs> well, like you say, it, it was to pad it out. And we, we kind of got to the point where our initial gimmicks, we, we kind of went, well, they're going to be our serious ones. Like that that's our proper proper gimmicks. But we wanna have a bit of a muck around in at fun matches at the same time. So we developed these just random characters. Yeah, and um Ferris McFly was a, a Geordie who had a mullet and a moustache. Um I'm very bold, so that mullet was very much a wig, which did pop off on on again in a couple of times in matches. <laughs> but it got to the point where people actually thought Ferris McFly was you. Like, yeah, there were a couple of people yeah, in the show. They, they didn't thinking, realize it was me. Thinking, well, I've never seen Ferris McFly wrestle Triggerman, so <laughs> yeah. therefore Ferris McFly <laughs> must be Triggerman. Yeah. Um, an absolute parallel of the Clark Kent Superman <laughs> you've always loved. Um, but of course, the reason why Triggerman never wrestled Ferris McFly is probably because Ferris McFly's most famous opponent yeah, was El Skeletorio Junior. Exactly. The failed luchador, the lucha don't. Yes. He'd been trained wrong <laughs> as a joke. <laughs> That's his origin story. He That's went right. to Mexico, trained to be a wrestler, and they trained him wrong as a joke. And he's come <laughs> back to Middle England, <laughs> and he's trying to make it as a back garden superstar. But um, there actually is a bit more to El Skeletorio's origin, though. If you remember... We had one match in the back garden where we introduced the all-American hero, Eric Razorback. Yes, yeah. An Arizonian who was here to take Bauer by force. And we filmed all his entrance promos. Uh, like promos. We tried to make him look like a hero, like a proper all-American Kurt Angle type. We filmed all his promos. Then Triggerman came out, beat him up, threw him off a roof, <laughs> and stuck him in a car boot. Turned to the camera, holding the car keys, and went, let's go for a little drive. We never filmed any follow-up to that <laughs> And then a couple of years later, El Skeletorio turned up. And it was suggested by a few people that El Skeletorio was the skeletal remains of Makes Razorback, sense. who got locked in the back of the car. So there's my little tribute to an old friend of ours, Eric. That works. <laughs> oh, my God. You couldn't make this stuff up, but somehow we did. Yeah, and we, we took those characters inside when we went legit. They stayed with us. 
for a little um, while, yeah. But yeah. once we once we started working with a few other companies, we did kind of phase that stuff out. Mm, but yeah. but they were crowd pleasers, and they oh, were completely. a great way, a really good way. If you have a really heavy hitting hardcore match, and then you've got a main event coming up, you got to reel it in a bit. You got to just take it down, and a really good way of doing that, but still keeping the crowd engaged, was sending out a Skeletor versus a skeleton versus a Geordie. Mm, exactly. Or um, there was there was a few other comedy characters. It, this was really like when when you first heard about the Japanese company DDT, mm. did you think we did that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like we we just we too early. Huh? Yeah, too early. I mean, I I I miss being Trigger Man, but I don't miss being Trigger Man because it's yeah. a lot of work. Uh-huh. Um, I miss El Skeletorio Junior. Yeah. Like if I could bring that character back and just do a few shows every now and then, I'd I'd put the work into getting back into shape to do that because it's <laughs> fun. But that's also where my biggest injury ever came from. <laughs> yes, <laughs> running into the ring, I, I I trained and I had this spot down where I'd do a funny pose, get the audience chanting, and I'd run to the ring, try and dive under the bottom ropes, hit the bottom rope. And get bounced off and land outside the ring. And I practiced it four or five times. Got it down. It was funny. It was a good spot. It's not earth shattering. It's just a cheap laugh at the beginning of the match. So we get to the arena. We set up the show. And for some reason we 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 set the entranceway and the ring at an angle to each other. Yeah. Usually it's straight right angle. So you run out and you've got a straight ring in front of you. Well this time I ran out. And the ring's on at a slight angle. So when I try and jump into the rope to hit the spot, it doesn't throw me back out. I slide along a bit, and then it throws half of me out, and I, f- I fold up underneath myself, <laughs> and my leg, my foot bends back completely the wrong way, fully straightens out. So if you imagine your leg bones, Oof. and you imagine your foot going all the way straight, and um, I didn't break a bone, because they heal easily. What I did is I tore all the ligaments, all yeah. the ligaments attaching the the foot to the the leg. Ugh. Um, <laughs> and that still plays up when it's cold. Yeah, I bet. What was your worst injury? So mine was um, caused by your head, your stupid <laughs> head. Um, so yeah, myself and Sid had wrestled each other goodness knows how many times. So we knew each other inside and out, uh, how we wrestled, what moves we did. And this was our, our Stratford show, our debut in Stratford. Sid and I wrestling against each other yet again. And we didn't need to walk through anything because we knew what we were going to do, but we did. And um, most matches, I would always do a little sequence where I'd close line into the corner and come out with a bulldog. Did it all the time. Knew what I was doing. But for some reason that day, when my backside hit the mat, I clearly didn't unlock my fingers right away. So my, my arms were quite rigid. And it... Bang, my elbow, my right elbow banged off Sid's head. Um, and as I went down, I thought, that feels weird. Took my pad off and my bottom part of my arm was resting on top of the top part of my arm where I dislocated my elbow and it hadn't gone back in. <laughs> I've still got the x-ray and it's just the most horrendous looking thing. Um, so yeah, that, <laughs> was, that was me done. So I was shipped off to Warwick Hospital as I was being like, Carted out in the ambulance. That's when the fans were coming in. It's like, what a disaster! Still made the curry afterwards, though. So, you know, who's who's the winner? 
that's enough about Bauer, hmm. Triggerman, Superstar Pete Andrews, and all those names from yesteryear that no one remembers. Um, <laughs> let's take a brief second to talk about um, other companies that we did stuff for. So at the time when Bauer was at its height, I did a couple of matches for 4FW including one show where the audience didn't show up. Nice. Like, literally, we we were giving away tickets around town before the event started, and I had my tag team partner, Nick, walking around in his pants. Should nice. mention Nick, to be honest, because his, like, what is bow about Nick's postal and brochure work? Yeah, oh yeah, that was second to like, none. It, it was, it was yeah. unheard of for wrestling at that time to have that sort of quality... Of your your promotional stuff, yeah. Our branding was better than probably better than the product, yeah. And and to be fair to Nick as well, like there's not as many people who worked as hard as he did every practice session trying to get better. Mm. He really did put the work in every show. He was always there, and he stayed with the company to the end, didn't he? Really? Yeah, yeah. He he stayed long past us. Yeah, long long past us. And and it's worth mentioning that Chris really did take the show. To places that I didn't take the show to, hmm. I was, I was too invested in the narrative of Bauer itself. Yeah, Chris was a lot better at growing our audience and bringing in outside talent. He took mm-hmm. he took Bauer in a completely different direction. Uh, I think they're both valid. Yes, but I've, I've always admired what he did with the product hmm. um, and was pleased he kept it going in our absence. Yeah, um, other companies we worked for. So yeah, I just mentioned I did some stuff before FW. Uh, what was the other Swindon group that we worked with, where Canatango came from? And um, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember the name. Man. I never worked for them, but I know a, a bunch of our guys did. Nick did some work for them. Chris Walker did some work for them. I think yeah. that was our contact with Yesterday Reese and people like that. Right. Um, I also did some work for EWW, mm-hmm. which was down in Kent Extreme World Wrestling. I think they were called. I can't remember. But that was uh, that was good. That's where Scarlett ended up. One of our right. early um, women's wrestlers. She ended up down there, and they really made something of that show. They had they had a loyal following. Yeah, I always sort of joked they were the Goth Wrestling <laughs> yes. Federation. But but to be honest, every wrestling federation's got sort of a subset of Goths in it. Yeah, I don't know why it just seems to appeal to the metalheads and the people on the kind of don't subscribe to mainstream society who seem to flock. To wrestling, um, and more recently, of course, you've been involved with a local wrestling company. Yeah, so um, back to Stratford. Um, if that wasn't risky enough, yeah, a new company formed at the start of this year called PEW Phenomenal Elite Wrestling. Um, they asked me along. Um, it was actually one of our old trainees that set up the company, and just out of the blue, he contacted me to see if I was still involved in wrestling, which I very much wasn't. I've not done anything wrestling wise since like 2008 i think it was um but i i said no but i'll happily give you a hand let you know because obviously i've been there done it if you need anything um so he asked me to sort of help uh guys put together matches if they wanted that sort of input and uh also mainly to be a commentator for the shows um so i went and did that um up until just recently and it was kind of it gave me the itch back um to actually do some wrestling again and so i bought new gear and all that sort of stuff um yeah but the guy running it had some sort of financial issues i think he didn't realize how hard running a wrestling company was going to be on his own it's not easy no i mean for for a group of us doing it it wasn't easy so yeah one guy doing it on his own i think it it hit him hard how hard it was 
Um, so he got in some sort of spoke to different people. I think he's got some new investors in, and from the looks of things, they're taking things in a different a different road now. Um, so I haven't been asked to be a part of it. I don't think that's anything that I did wrong or anything like that. But I think they they want to be a, use a few more established people that are probably have been known in the British scene over the past few years rather than sort of people who've come back into it or new guys. Um, so yeah, I think they're just going a different route. Um, I don't know. Things might change. But I, yeah, I haven't heard anything about being involved in the, their upcoming show. But it was fun. I'm glad you did it. Um there does seem to be two ways to go with British wrestling, doesn't there? There seems to be the homegrown companies that do everything in-house, train yeah. people up, put together a show, and they'll tend to go quite a long time, but they won't make much noise or get much interest. Yes. And you get the other company, which come along, make a big splash, get a couple of big names in, and then six months to 18 months later, they're gone because there's no money left. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, there's a, there's a joke, isn't there, about how to make a million pounds in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Start out with two million pounds. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not easy. It's not fun. And to 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 do your own company is it's a dream of a lot of people. And I think it was his dream for a long time. Um, but he, I think he had a quick realization that yeah, maybe it's not all um, you know sunflowers and roses that it he thought it might have been. But I hope it I hope it lasts because they did from the first show they got a very passionate fan base. Uh, and people were coming back, and each show you were getting more and more people. So, fingers crossed, it can it can keep the momentum. It started. Um, they had to cancel a show that was actually going to be my comeback match, um, and I said it to him at the time like that's the one thing that might hurt you is you know advertising this show and canceling it just a matter of days before um, it was going to go ahead. But they have got a show next weekend, so fingers crossed they can rebound from it. Oh yeah, fingers yeah. crossed, definitely. Um, it's a good way to upset talent as well when yeah, that short yeah, notice exactly. cancels stuff. But yeah. hopefully most people will understand mm. and, and get with it. So I mean, I'm going to use that as our lead into one of the topics that I wanted to discuss today is why this podcast. Um, we talked to we talked about doing this podcast not for that long actually before we started doing yeah, it. Yeah. And um, our producer said, yeah, he was happy to do it, but why when there's so many wrestling podcasts out there already? Um, and ultimately it came down to because I think we'd enjoy it and and I think you've got something to say about wrestling. Yeah. So seeing you go back to wrestling, seeing you involved again, years after you thought you were done mm. and you said to me, I didn't think I'd ever be in, be in the arena on that side of the fence again. Yeah. Because it completely changes how you see wrestling once you're on the other side of the barriers. It, it totally does. You can't It does. Back. Yeah. Um, to see that taken away from you was like quite heartbreaking. I mean, you took it well, you didn't go on about it, but I could see something you loved, you got back into it, and then just as soon as you got back into it, it's gone again. Mm. Let's do a podcast. we got stuff to say. You, your knowledge of wrestling is obscene. <laughs> um, and that, that's something we should have said at the beginning. There was a time when we were quite parallel in yeah, our yes. interest and our love of wrestling. I would describe myself as a fair weather wrestling fan. If it's if the product's good, I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. So I love wrestling. I'll always love wrestling, but I'm not going to stick with it through thick and thin. Yeah, you're different to me. You will stick with it through thick and thin, even if it gets to the point where you just have to fast forward it or just read the results online. Which, sadly, as I know how you've taken to the Fed a lot the last few years. Yeah, you do come back. Obviously, if there's a match that interests you, you'll come back and watch it. And similarly, if you say to me. 
you've got to watch Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens at NXT. Mm. I'll sit and watch it. Yeah, or yeah. like there was a time when I stopped watching even WrestleMania and you dragged me back to to show the Shawn Michaels Undertaker matches. Sure. And it's like, well, how how could I have missed those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny. When when you're involved in wrestling, it, it like you say, it does change how you look at it. And I can totally see how it would kill it. The enjoyment of it because you're not watching wrestling to enjoy it then you're watching wrestling to to pick up things like oh how are they doing that i'm going to nick that sequence and it, it totally changes your fandom of it for sure to be honest i've done that with pretty much everything i enjoy right so books i love books and then i start analyzing fiction learn storytelling read some great like on writing by stephen king and story by robert mckee and I've banged out a couple of novels in my time. Mm. Toys, I collect toys. I love toys. I like having toys on the shelf. I've got a friend who gets into toy design. I get involved in helping writing fiction for the packaging, get involved in deciding what toys we should make and what colours we should make. And then I end up getting a couple of toys that never would have existed made. Yeah. Like just for example, they made figures of two Transformers called... Uh, Puffer and Pipes, and in the animated cartoon, they looked like Mario and Luigi, (laughs) which I thought was great, but they never released any toys. So we sat down, got checked with people. We even got the original designer, Derek J. Wyatt, involved, and sure enough, we released some toys of Mario and Luigi, Puffer and Pipes. And the same wrestling, I was a fan. I got into it. How does this work? How do they do it? You learn as much as you can about how it works. And then we ended up doing it. And I have ruined my passionate hobbies <laughs> over and over again by doing that. But you end up enjoying them on a completely different level. Yes, yeah. You you really do. It does change how you see it. But it does. You, you still enjoy it on a, a whole different way. There was a scientist called Richard Feynman. And a philosopher said to him, I can see a flower. And I can see a flower in all its beauty. And you can't. You just see its stem. You just see the uh, action of photosynthesis. You just reduce it to its component parts. And Richard Feynman replied, no, I see the flower and I can see its beauty. But because I know how that beauty is born through photosynthesis, through taking nutrition of moisture from the earth and reacting to the sun, it makes it even more beautiful. And like, not to get too poetic... That is now how I see most of the things that I've been interested in as a hobby. I can see them three-dimensional yeah, from yeah. multiple sides. Okay. Not my words, the words of Richard Feynman. Oh, you can't argue with that. Well, no, no. If you don't know who Richard Feynman is, um, give it a Google and make sure you've got an hour or so to go down that, um, <laughs> that wormhole because interesting scientist, that dude. Really yeah. interesting. So, okay, right. We talked enough about Bauer now. We talked enough about ourselves and the companies we've worked for. Mm-hmm. Let's reduce it down to brass tacks. Are you ready, Pete? The question is coming thick and fast. This is the, it's not general knowledge, it's general interest. Excellent. Let's do this. Favorite wrestler of all time? Shawn Michaels. Wrestlers, top five, any order? So, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Eddie Guerrero, Okada. And the next one always changes. I'm just going to say Sting. Sting. Yeah. Nice. Can't go wrong. Right, okay, you ready for my top five? I don't have a favourite. I've never been able to have a favourite. That's just not how I approach stuff. Yeah. But I have got a top five any order. Okay. And they are Brett Michaels. Brett Michaels from Poison. 
<laughs> Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> you like him uh, that much? He doesn't know the I name. I mean, that's a composite that uh, <laughs> that Pamela Anderson would definitely sleep with. <laughs> Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. They're yeah. sort of my top. I know it's controversial. I know uh-huh. you have to be a Shawn or a Bret guy. Um, I've never met Shawn. I'm sure he's probably an arsehole. I've never met Bret. I'm sure he's great. The two of them together are what mm-hmm. I love. Yeah, yeah. But I also love them individually. Shawn Michaels versus Mankind. I mean, what a match that is. Yeah, cr- Mick, tremendous. Definitely, for me, Mick Foley's best technical wrestling match ever. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's great. Bret Hart, he can get a great match out of anyone. Um, I'm such a mark, though. This list will just get me mocked out because I haven't got... <laughs> there's not a single Japanese wrestler or NWA wrestler or... Or women like a women's wrestler on there. It's just it's I'm a mark. That's Brett, fine. My, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Y2J, Chris Jericho, the Lion Tamer, the Wizard. <laughs> he's like I don't care what people say about him now or if he's squashing talent or putting people over. He has done more to reshape the industry than I think just about anyone. He and he just he's been amazing. ECW, WCW, WWE, AEW. All of them. Mm-hmm. Love it. Oh, yeah. Great. Can't go wrong. Kurt Angle. Yeah. Just like there was a time I would have said Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank God when he did what he did and things went the way they did, that that you had Kurt Angle right there. Who yeah, was yeah. He did so much of what Benoit did, but just as well and in many ways better. Yeah. But with the mic work. Exactly. He had the character stuff down. Not afraid to make a fool of himself either, which is always a, a good sign of a great wrestler, I think. His first couple of years where Kurt Angle was a bit more of a dork mm-hmm. are my favourite years of his stuff. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. But I love his TNA stuff too. And like, I don't say that about many people. Yeah. <laughs> like, how many guys do you say that about? But no, he had some great stuff. And, and that's the stuff a lot of people haven't seen. And he was in TNA longer than he was in WWE as well. It's crazy, isn't it? When, you, when yeah, you look yeah. at it like that. But yeah, yeah his... Honestly, I mean, you, there, there's DVDs you could pick up really cheap of the best Kurt Angle in mm-hmm. TNA. And it's worth doing. I, yeah. I mean, the, some of the segments on it are a bit like 90s Gladiator. But <laughs> like in the way they're interviewing him while he's walking down the street and stuff. But yeah. Um, and the final one to round out my list is Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. Yeah, he's he's one of those that flip-flops for me. Like Sometimes he's in my list, sometimes he isn't. But he, yeah, he was phenomenal. I have a type. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I, mean, I think it's fair to say I have a type. <laughs> You're like a good singlet. Yeah. Oh no, just just that's my top five. It is subject to change day mm-hmm. to day. Like there's there's sometimes that perfect will pop out and and like angle might pop out. Um Y two J wasn't always on the list. Mm. He's it is really his involvement the last few years and how he's really helped secure the future for the next generation of talent. That's pointing back on the list. Yeah. But yeah, brilliant. Okay, so who is your current favourite? So I'm a huge uh, Kyle O'Reilly fan. Um, I, I've enjoyed his stuff since Red Dragon and Ring of Honor and when he was Ring of Honor champ and his stuff in New Japan and NXT and AEW. So like, I have, at the minute, like th- there are the big names that I love. Like we mentioned Okada earlier. He's still going strong, so I love his stuff. But I like I like getting to know a wrestler and kind of following him up. like A bit like I did with Triple H. Like I got into him when he was the Blue Blood character, and I've kind of just been a fan ever since. So like a guy like Ethan Page, I think, is 
a phenomenal talent, and I really hope he gets a, a decent run soon uh, in AEW because he's so good, and he's again he gets the character stuff down perfectly. He's a big nerd like us, big toy and comic guy. So I, I just it's guys like that that I like watching and watching them grow and become what they what they could be. Good answer, good answer. Mine's a little simpler. Mm-hmm. It's Brian Danielson. Yeah, you can't go wrong with the dragon. Like no. I love, I love Brian Danielson. I missed a lot of his early stuff. We always used to talk about him as one of the guys to watch back in his indie days. Yeah. Um, I saw him at a tiny little indie show in two thousand eight or two thousand nine in Sittingbourne. Nice. Like, I've, I've seen this great talent in these really weird places, man. Um, and that was that's when I went. Yeah, no, I love this guy. Uh, I missed a lot of his Fed stuff because I just I wasn't watching WWE at the time. Yeah. As you can probably tell by the fact that I still call it the Fed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just uh, Brian Danielson coming back when he did, I was so happy for him. Mm-hmm. And then coming over to AEW when he did, that tear he went on through the company. Yeah. Just phenomenal. Taking Kenny Omega to a time limit draw, mm-hmm. taking like Adam Page to a one hour time limit draw, which yeah. I called, yes. by the way. Yeah, he did, yeah. <laughs> I said that was going to happen. I didn't. They made a mark at me because when it when it went past half an hour, I went, "Well, they're not doing a half hour time limit draw. They're, they're they're obviously not doing this." And then they did it. I was, oh, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> Just yeah, Brian Danielson. Um, it'll wrestle until the wheels fall off. Yeah, hundred percent. I hope he doesn't die in the ring because, like, I, I part of the reason I stopped wrestling when I did and just gave up on the whole thing was the double whammy of Eddie and Benoit. Mm-hmm. Like that, Benoit had been one of my favorite for years. You know that. Yeah. Um, that broke me a little bit, and I just had to walk away. Um, so don't die in the ring, please, Brian. <laughs> um, it'll be good. Okay, right. Um, still on the nerdy questions, favorite tag team. Rockers. Yep, and favourite current? Favourite current tag, Young Bucks. Favourite trio? Hmm. Yeah, I don't even like the question, but trios are in vogue at the minute, so... It's funny, because I watch a lot of New Japan, and they do a lot of trios matches there. Um, But it's never, not necessarily, unless they're the the trios title holders, they're never trio title holders. They're they're always a, a variation of a theme. But whenever anyone from... Uh, Los and Granada's Day Hapon team together, uh, whether it be like Naito, uh, obviously he's the leader of the faction, and you've got all the other moving parts out like Shingo. Um, so yeah, probably any any variation of an Lij trio, I think. Nice, nice, and you can explain what that means to me after the podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I don't know who my favourite tag team is of all time. I, I can tell you my favourite tag match, and you can kind of take away from that what you will. It was a two out of three, four match. It was the Heart Foundation versus Demolition. Yeah. It's the classic one when Demolition are doing the switch under the ring, back and forth, mm-hmm. and and Legion of Doom come out to stop them. Yep. Yeah, that's a quality match, that one. What, one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely, that was great. Favourite trio? Again, I don't really have one. I have enjoyed the uh, Will Ospreay teaming up with Help Me Out Here. Aussie Open? With Aussie Open, I have actually enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's go with that at a minute. <laughs> okay, right, we're getting we're getting really into minutiae now. Favorite entrance music of all time, probably DX, just because it it kind of is that it, you could listen to it as a wrestling theme, or you could listen to it as a song. 
it's got that good crossover appeal to it. Yeah, it's weird. Um, like because Triple H didn't make my top list, even though I've, I've loved following his career. Yeah. Um, all the way through. I think my favorite entrance music is the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because just Declaration of Intent and Motorhead. Yeah. Just I love it. It's just brilliant. Um, of all time, probably Real American. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, it's fine. Is it, you can't is it cool that. to say yogurt? No, I don't care about cool. I, Real American's great, but yeah. yeah. Motorhead, the game, can't go wrong. There's a, a Triple H vinyl that WWE released a few years ago, and it's all his entrance songs on this like coloured vinyl. And I, I need to get it. I don't know why I don't own it. It's not che- It's not cheap, but I do need to sort it out. That does seem like something you should own. Yes, I'll get one. Favourite finishing move? Can be submission, can be impact. I don't think you can go wrong with a stunner. It's just perfect. It's so quick, so sudden, but he can add a bit of setup to it. It was, yeah, I'd go stunner. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really have an answer for this, but it was going to be like stunner stroke cutter. Yeah, yeah. That kind of out of anywhere move. They're very much one of those moves, a bit like the DDT that was once a killer finisher and now everyone kind of does them. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they could still be used as a finisher and be believable. Yeah, especially when um, Will Ospreay takes them on his face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Submission-wise, it's a tough one because it, it's hard to keep an audience engaged with a good submission. Mm-hmm. We, we got so used to so many years of just seeing them being not rest holds necessarily, but part of it, but not the finish. Yeah. Um, but is there a particular submission finish which has always stood out for you? Uh, I think the the Lion Tamer is nice. <laughs> Hang on. Bang um, on. Purely, be- I've got. purely because like when we were training, it was like, well, put me in a Lion Tamer. I want to see what it feels like. Hurts. Yeah, then it's like, what, what was it like? It doesn't hurt. You just can't breathe. Um, yeah, it's... So yeah, I get why he doesn't do it often. But when he does do it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it is. It does really mean something. Yeah. It? Definitely, definitely. Um, Kurt Angle as well. I've got to give a shout out to the um, the ankle lock. Because mm-hmm. he, he made an ankle lock a main event, legit finishing move. Yes. In the 2000s. What? It's <laughs> brilliant. He was, he was, and it, it, would, it wouldn't be on for long. It wasn't a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a two-minute thing. It was a. Uh, it's in. It's locked in. I can't get out of this. I have to tap. And then when he added that grapevine to it as well, it's like yeah, oh, someone might yeah. be in the ankle lock for a bit, but as soon as he grapevined it, done. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, definitely there was a lot of UFC influence at that time. At that mm-hmm. point in wrestling, I don't think that's a bad thing though. At that point, to have a submission move that if it's on, you're done. Yeah, definitely. Rather than crawling to the ropes. I want to see people have to get out of it as they're trying to put it on. I always think that ramps up the action yes. a hell of a lot more than waiting till you're in it, selling it for 30 seconds, crawling to the ropes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the, the immediate of reversing a move as it's being applied always makes it look so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, Favourite event slash pay-per-view? Ooh. While you have a think, I'll tell you mine. Okay. Royal Rumble 2000. Yeah, that's solid. It's. I mean, it's not even that it's the best wrestling yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it had a particularly amazing feud in mm-hmm. it, although you did have Cactus Jack Triple H, which was amazing. 
it was just it was that time and that place of the Attitude Era. Yeah. If you were a UK wrestling fan, that was the first time we had a free pay per view. Yes, on British television on Channel Four live at one AM. It was you know it's the millennium. It's a brand new year. It's January and it opens with Taz versus Kurt Angle, mm-hmm. and the crowd are lit. They're lit for that match. And they don't stop being lit the whole show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think WrestleMania 17 is definitely up there because it is like start to finish great. And it, it's kind of the end of what we loved of wrestling because that was the show where they kind of just before announced they bought WCW. So it was very much the end of an era. It was like a, a season finale for that version of the WWF, really. Um, so that one always is a bit special to me. So that that would be is that Rock Austin free? Yes. Yeah. 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 End of the Attitude Era. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was weird actually because I've done fifteen, sixteen a bunch of times, and I've done eighteen a bunch of times because of Rock Hogan and the NWO mm-hmm. injecting that poison. <laughs> That's it. To quote the Vince. Um, but yeah, I don't. You know, I don't think I've done seventeen that many times. Maybe I'll have to go back and do that soon. Yeah. Definitely okay. Right. Think. And last question, and then we're going to wrap this up. Okay. Favorite wrestling story slash gossip. Oh, so like dirt sheet stuff. It can be a dirt sheet. It can be something that's publicly known. It can be something that's uh, that's kind of like an insider secret. I'll, I'll tell you mine. What you ever think? Okay. Um, if you are not familiar, listeners, of the story of Ken Shamrock getting jumped by the Nasty Boys, <laughs> and then hitting him with a telephone over the back of the head as he came into a hotel room and the two of them filling him in and leaving him needing intensive care, putting him in the hospital. They really messed him up. And then the Ken Shamrock warpath as he's looking for them after, um, particularly one of them, the ringleader, I can't remember which one's the biggest piece of shit in the story, (laughs) but um, he gets them isolated and it's in front of all the boys. Yeah. And you think, oh, this is going to go down. And the nasty boy goes, if you touch me, I'll sue. (laughs) And Shamrock just laughs. And he's like, I couldn't, if I'd beaten him to death, (laughs) I couldn't have done him more damage in front of the boys than he did himself. Yeah. If you touch me, I'll sue. (laughs) I love it. it. It's just my favourite. That is good. Yeah, I mean, that's got me thinking about Obviously, uh, Bradshaw, very much known for not being the nicest of people and sometimes crossing the wrong people. Like the story of him winding Steve Blackman up <laughs> to the point where Steve Blackman was like, right, that's it. I'm going to I'm gonna kick his head off. And the only reason he didn't, because Blackman got his leg caught in a, the strap of his bag. And then like Bradshaw being told, like, you were so lucky that that happened <laughs> and having to apologise. It was at an airport, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then the t- and again the time Bradshaw was winding Joey Styles up, and apparently Joey Styles just knocked him down. It's like, yes, he might be a commentator, but he was in ECW for long enough, mate. <laughs> yeah, he's going to stand up for himself. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. It's stories like that that always make me chuckle. Like, yeah, it's it is weird that all these years on, it does come back to David versus Goliath, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's not not like Ken Shamrock's small or not like Steve Blackman was small. Yeah, but Nasty Boys are they're big, heavy set guys, and if they jump you, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what your skill level is and what your training is. 
it's going to be hard to put up a defence. Yeah, so. and and Bradshaw's just a beast at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we, we it still comes back to that, like you know, Jericho standing up against uh, Goldberg. Mm-hmm. We've heard of and, yeah. um the angle Lesnar. Yeah, well, Jericho stood up to Lesnar as well. Okay, I'm not sure if I've heard that or not. It's... So there was there was a match. It was Orton Lesnar and. Lesnar opened up Orton the hard way, like elbows to the head. And Jericho was like, that's not on. You don't do that. And yeah, he was waiting for him when he came through the curtain. So the story goes. Nice. The um, Mike Awesome on his way out of ECW and the WWE left has go back for a night. <laughs> yes, that's always yeah, been a that's fun good. One. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. It's, this is wrestling, isn't it? Ultimately, like we've kind of come to this almost by accident right at the end of our introduction episode. But what do we want watch when we watch wrestling? It doesn't matter what level of fan you are. It doesn't matter if you're a kid, a casual viewer, a hardcore viewer, someone who's never missed a show, or someone who's been a wrestler at some point in their life. We all want when we're wrestling, we want to believe. We want it to be real. And mm-hmm. in doing so, we make it real. That's it. And that's why we always come back to these little behind-the-scenes stories. It's why when you're watching something on TV... You, you, you want to go, is this real or not? It's why people right now are on social media going, is CM Punk's foot really broken? Yeah, exactly, yeah. We we know what wrestling is. We know exactly what wrestling is. Yeah. But we want to believe, and so we do. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a better ending to our intro episode than that. Nice, spot on. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Episode one is already up as you listen to this. And episode two is just one week away. Come at us on Twitter at AEW or search Double View on Facebook. Yeah. Thank you very much, Pete. It's been a pleasure. Always. And we will see and speak to you very soon. Bye-bye.